a battle for influence. China's beginning to change some of the rules of the game. President Biden is wrapping up a tour of Asia, stopping by Vietnam after the Group of 20 summit in India's capital. The weekend event saw a notable absence from Chinese leader Xi Jinping, who hasn't missed a G20 summit since taking office a decade ago. What does his no-show mean for the gathering? The world that Beijing is attempting to create is not one that most of the rest of the world want to join. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Before we plunge into today's headlines, here's a juicy scoop for you. How deadly was China's COVID-19 pandemic? We're all aware of Beijing's suppression of virus origin data, but hidden details are still lurking in the shadows. Our exclusive report dives deep to reveal the untold part of the story, and the truth is shocking. Mark your calendars for this Wednesday, September 13th, as we uncover the unsettling reality surrounding China's secret COVID-19 death toll here on China in Focus. Beijing is facing its worst COVID outbreak. Around 250 million people were infected during the first weeks of December. China had reported only 37 deaths caused by COVID-19. We urge China to be fully transparent about what's going on. We do know that we don't know the cases right now. The BBC has found evidence of a considerable COVID death toll in China's rural areas. If you visit local crematoriums, there's a lot of people have died. Dimitro still believes that uh, deaths are heavily underreported from China. The regime's prestige is based upon this idea that they are really good managers of of everything that's going on in the country. And if if, uh, the COVID numbers are not supporting that, well, one way to address that problem is to eliminate the COVID numbers, right? Within eight days, I lost five close relatives. The information that we got at the front end of this thing uh, wasn't perfect and has led us now to a place where much of the challenge we face today. It's very important uh, for us to be on the same page. That is what China has not allowed to happen. If you cannot get real data from China, all your estimations will be way off. My close relatives, among them, there are four died already. That is from one family. We calculated how long each furnace burns, and then we came back to make an overall estimate, which is around 380 million. A difficult summit, this year's G20 gathering in New Delhi is going far beyond economic talks, as U.S.-China tensions appear to be taking the center stage. Let's take a look. A notable absence from Chinese leader Xi Jinping during a G20 meeting last weekend. The forum helps shape global economic cooperation among many of the world's hardest-hitting markets. The Epoch Times White House correspondent Emel Akan weighs in from India. China's she is not here is not important for us. So we are here. The President Biden is here and he's ready to deliver results. And that's what we had we had heard from the uh, the administration. About half of the G20 members are U.S. allies and Washington is pushing for a tougher China stance. Because of that, some analysts say she's no show could signal Chinese dissatisfaction with the existing world order. Xi Jinping has established BRICS 
really as his mechanism and as his alternative in the world that he's trying to create. Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa make up the BRICS economic group. Some suggest it's China's attempt to rally nations away from Western power. The group met late last month. Now, China's preparing for its upcoming Belt and Road Infrastructure Forum in October. Both are stars in Beijing's constellation for global influence. But why is Xi's absence at the G20 raising so much debate? When the Chinese, when Xi Jinping is not there uh, to take away some of the oxygen, some of the attention, the Americans have a good opportunity. And even better, the Indians have an opportunity uh, to really shine on the international stage uh, as something of an alternative. Uh, to China as the colossus, as the future. Over the weekend, President Biden and other G20 allies unveiled an ambitious project. This is a big deal. This is a real big deal. A plan to build a rail and shipping corridor linking India with the Middle East and Europe. That's on top of another announcement. I proposed a long time ago at the G7, now it's going to come to fruition in the G20, is making sure that we build railroad all the way across the African continent. It gives Biden the opportunity really to show uh, that most of the world is in concert with the United States uh, and um, the world that the United States has led uh, is one which still offers the rest of the world a far greater path uh, than uh, the one that China is attempting uh, to, uh, uh, to create. According to the Financial Times, Beijing has opposed plans for the U.S. to take on the G20's presidency in 2026, though the White House already announced it. A truly historic moment, according to President Joe Biden. He made his first visit to Vietnam Monday as the two nations level up their relations. Starting now, the country will consider Washington a comprehensive strategic partner. The title is Vietnam's highest tier of international partnership, previously given to China and Russia. Nations around the world are hunting for alternatives to Chinese supply chains. And Hanoi is looking to balance out its relations with stronger ties to the U.S. and Europe. At the same time, Washington aims to counter Beijing's influence in the region. The, uh, I am sincere about getting the relationship right. And one of the things that is going on now is China's beginning to change some of the rules of the game. He said he's not looking to hurt or decouple from China, but... I'm not going to sell China material that would enhance their capacity to make more nuclear weapons. Beijing lashed out over the approach, saying the development of bilateral relations between countries should not target a third party. Executives from the U.S. and Vietnam gathered later, striking major tech and aviation deals. Biden emphasized collaboration in cloud computing, semiconductors and artificial intelligence, and stressed Vietnam's important role in critical minerals. It's home to the world's second biggest rare earth deposits, essential for electric car and wind turbines. Global infrastructure investments driven by ulterior motives. That's the question concerning lawmakers and experts who say Beijing may be trying to create military bases out of foreign seaports it's funding. Right now, China only has one official military base in Djibouti, Africa. It's just a few miles from the U.S. military base there. But a report says China might be gunning for more. Under its Belt and Road Initiative, the Chinese regime has poured almost $30 billion into ports around the world, expanding or building 78 ports. 
And a report from Aid Data says some of those ports might become Chinese military bases in times of war. Here are the top eight options. First off, the Hanban Toda port in Sri Lanka. China already has a 90-year lease on the facility. Next in line are bases in Equatorial Guinea, Pakistan and Cameroon, followed by the Reem Naval Base in Cambodia, plus others in the South Pacific and Africa. Beijing launched its Belt and Road Initiative 10 years ago. A decade later, how are countries involved faring right now? A dozen of them say they're not seeing the returns they had hoped for and have debt piling up instead. On that list are Pakistan, Kenya, Zambia, Laos, Mongolia and others. Their outstanding bills to China have eaten into their tax revenue, money needed to pay for food and electricity. Most of them are using over a third of their government revenue to pay off debt. That's according to analysis from the Associated Press. Zambia and Sri Lanka were hit the hardest. Both have defaulted on their loans. Sri Lanka lost about half a million jobs since its default. Inflation hit over 50 percent, and many parts of the country are now stuck in poverty. The country also had to hand over a port to China on a 99-year contract. The port, called the Hamban Toda, sits on a crucial location. It's less than 10 miles away from one of the world's busiest shipping routes. It's also nearby one of the world's busiest oil transport routes. The path links two of the world's most important oil transit choke points, the Strait of Hormuz and the Strait of Malacca. Countries like China, Japan and South Korea depend on it for the bulk of their oil supplies. In Kenya, thousands of civil service workers couldn't get paychecks because the government had to first pay for its debt. In Pakistan, millions of textile workers lost their jobs. The reason? The indebted government couldn't afford to keep the electricity running. China is very secretive about the terms of its loans, making it challenging for other lenders to help. Italy is reportedly planning to exit China's international infrastructure program, known as the Belt and Road Initiative, or BRI. We spoke with Antonio Graceffo, China economic analyst and author of Beyond the Belt and Road, China's Global Economic Expansion, for a look at the reasons behind the departure and the possible long-term implications. It seems Italy may leave China's Belt and Road Initiative. Many groups in Italy want them to leave to begin. Why is it important to the U.S. whether Italy stays or leaves? Well, basically, when, when Italy originally uh, wanted to join the Belt and Road, it was because their economy is in so much trouble. Now, for Biden at this moment and the EU, the, the EU and, and Biden are pretty much on the same side now in terms of their China policy, that they're really seeing China more as an adversary rather than just a competitor, in which case they need everybody on board. And having Italy, you know, as a member of the BRI, weakens the G7, weakens uh, the EU policy towards China. And by being a member of the Belt and Road, what leverage did that give China then? Well, that gave China great leverage um, because then, first of all, China was able to increase their exports to Italy. And this is the main reason why the country is leaving, aside from the geopolitical issues, is that, that Italy is absolutely not seeing any economic benefit from joining the BRI. Um, uh, the uh, exports of China into Italy have increased by 51 percent, while Italian exports to China have only increased by, I believe, 23 or 26 percent. So China has got the lion's share of that benefit. Uh, the other shocking thing is that Chinese FDI into Italy 
is now one twentieth, roughly one twentieth of what it was before Italy joined BRI. So there's no benefit at all to Italy. If Italy does leave the Belt and Road Initiative, what kind of message is that sending to China? How big of a blow is it? I think it's a huge blow. It's a huge symbolic blow. It may not have any economic effect, but it's a huge, um, let's say, a diplomatic setback for China. Is a second pandemic looming over China? Regions across the nation are dealing with a surge in asthma-like symptoms. Chinese officials pointing to what's known as thunderstorm asthma, an allergic reaction triggered by thunderstorms. But why are people getting sick in places with clear skies? Let's dive in. After a heavy rainstorm, hospitals in the northern Chinese city of Hohat got overwhelmed by a round of asthma-like attacks. Footage shows hundreds lining the halls for treatment. A city official confirmed with NTD. Many people are checking into urgent care, and a lot of them are having asthma symptoms. From what I understood, this is not an issue of nuclear radiation or vaccine injuries. It's more likely a pollen allergy, but there is no official explanation. Worth noting, very few flowers bloom in the city in September. Similar asthma cases also surface in Beijing and southern Guangdong province. Respiratory clinics are dealing with twice as many patients as usual. Chinese state-run media concluded that the outbreak is a result of thunderstorm asthma. Those affected often present allergy symptoms such as cough and shortness of breath. Here's the question. If storms are the cause, why are cases popping up in places like Guangdong, which haven't had so much as a drizzle in the forecast? Instead, some believe COVID-19 is making a comeback in the area. Others suggest vaccine have weakened the public's immune response to allergic reactions. We'll keep you updated as more details emerge. Turning now to flooding in southeast China, a tropical storm bringing heavy rainfall to the coastal province of Fujian. Local authorities suddenly released excess water from nearly 600 dams without notifying residents. Flood water soon swept across residential areas, threatening lives and livelihoods. Footage shows cities and villages submerged under muddy water, leaving vehicles stranded on the streets. One resident said that she started reaching out for help after spotting a crack in the dam, but didn't get a response. There's a crack in the dam, and they didn't want me to take pictures. I've been calling people about it, but no one was here to check it out. No one from my village could take care of it. I've already left home. I'm staying somewhere else right now. Another suggested a more sinister cause. We're living in a mountain. There can't be any storms nor floods. It is all man-made. It's vicious. The dams were opened on purpose. Once everyone's gone, everything is theirs. In another village, officials released excess water from nine dams at the same time. Local tea farmers could only watch as the torrent washed away large sacks of their tea harvest. Take a look at this video shared by a resident in Shenzhen. According to the social media report, local authorities decided to fully open the floodgates of the local dam, sending a muddy surge into the streets. Coming up, a strengthened partnership with an old foe. President Joe Biden is wrapping up his trip to Vietnam. But what's at stake for relations with Hanawai? And what does Washington want out of them? We sat down with Ray Powell, Sea Life Director at the Gordian Knot Center for National Security and Innovation, for details. More on that after the break here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. As Biden traveled to India and Vietnam, China, whose leader was absent at the G20 summit, was dominating headlines. How are Beijing's actions shaping global dynamics? And what's the takeaway as the U.S. and Vietnam elevate their relations? We speak to Ray Powell, CLIGHT Director at the Gordian Knot Center for National Security and Innovation, for more. Ray Powell, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Tiffany. It's great to be here. So President Biden wrapped up his G20 summit. He made stops to India and Vietnam. While Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping wasn't at the summit, China was still a topic there. President Biden, while in Hanoi, said that expanding relations with Vietnam was, quote, not about containing China, but rather having a stable base. So what do you make of his comments here? Well, it's, it has always been the U.S. position that we are not uh, primarily motiv- motivated by containing China. We have always wanted China to be a, uh, a responsible part of the world community that uh, uh, operates by the same basic set of rules that have kind of guided the international community since the end of World War II. And uh, so we have never sought overtly or, or, or intentionally to contain China. What we really would like to do is weave China into this international system that we, where we all can agree on what the rules are. And now on that note, last week, China issued a new map claiming large swaths, especially of the South China Sea, which many other countries also claim, including the Philippines and Vietnam. And when it comes to that, back in 2019, an international tribunal invalidated China's claims. But China still says, oh, these are our areas and they defend them. And recently in the headlines, a lot is the Philippine ships who were trying to do a resupply mission and was being harassed by Chinese ships. So what do you make of that? And why should should America be focused on this? Well, America should, is to begin with the last thing first. America needs to be focused on especially the Philippines' dispute with China because the Philippines is a U.S. treaty ally. We have a mutual defense treaty with the Philippines that obligates us to defend them should their vessels come under attack. So the Philippines has regularly been uh, had missions to go out and resupply a particular outpost at Second Thomas Shoal aboard a rusted Uh, World War II era ship that has been there since 1999. And in recent years, China has blockaded those resupply missions so that only food and replacement troops can go through. They are making sure that nothing larger than that uh, can get through specifically so that the Philippines can't repair the ship. China's strategy is very clearly to blockade the ship until it rusts away and falls into the sea. And that could happen really at any time. And when that happens, there will be a crisis of some sort, and those, that crisis will probably involve the United States very closely because the Philippines is a treaty ally. And it seems a lot of these moves is, as you mentioned, to make sure China plays by international rules. But if we look at, historically speaking, since the Communist Party seized power, often it seems China plays by their own rules, right, when we let China join the World Trade Organization that was on the premise of making it more liberal, more democratic. It almost seems the free markets are less free. So given that kind of a relationship, if you will, what are the steps the U.S. and freedom-loving countries should take? Well, so this is why we often refer to China as a revisionist power. They want to revise the rules that we've all sort of commonly abided by for many decades till now. And so, I mean, I think that the most basic 
steps that we have to take are simply to let China know that we don't intend to abandon the, this, this rule set because it is the rule set that has largely kept the world peaceful in the, in the years since World War II. I understand we've had smaller wars since then, but we haven't had the world wars, the, the ones, the truly catastrophic events. Uh, in fact, we managed to survive the entire Cold War with the Soviet Union with having, without having that kind of a catastrophic world event. So the rules are important for world peace. It's, it's, it's what's uh, generated these decades of, of prosperity for so much of the world, including China. And so we have to, at some point, draw a line and push back and say, these activities are unacceptable in the world context, and there are going to be consequences for so blatantly violating them. For example, we cannot simply sit back and allow you to blockade our treaty allies' legal outpost in its own economic, uh, exclusive economic zone and have there be no consequences. So now, what consequences are those? That's the, those are the hard questions that we have to ask. Ray Powell, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Tiffany. It's been a pleasure. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.